Sure. Uh, but um, the question is trying to seek for uh, something that we can all relate, right? People here in the U.S., people in Cuba, people in Chile, everyone is looking for the meaning of life, our purpose, and our destiny. Whether we recognize it or not, all of us uh, who are here and our friends who don't believe in, in, in anything or don't believe in Jesus, we're all looking for those things. But those questions, uh, but this question would not be odd at all coming from uh, a Jewish man in the first century, right? So this man took for granted that there was something greater uh, than himself, something uh, beyond this life, something that he called an eternal life. What he didn't know was how to get it, right? And it was bugging him. This question of how to get that eternal life was bugging him. Uh, and so he runs up to Jesus, falls at his feet, and inquires of him. And so I think this is really an honest question that this man has. So Jesus um, looks at him um, and to answer his question, he says, hey, you're a Jewish man. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. In essence, Jesus points back to the law of God or the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses and the Jewish people in you know, thousands of years before and that this man should have been really familiar with. Uh, and Jesus points to that and tells the man, do that. If you want to inherit eternal life, do that. To which the man replies, Jesus, and, and he says, Jesus, I've kept that since I was a boy. Um, it's, well, that's interesting. So the guy believes that he's kept the law of God. Okay, so that's one thing, but let's put that aside. Uh, and then um, another thing that is interesting there uh, is that Jesus goes to the uh, uh, fifth uh, commandment and onwards. And also he, he tells them in a, in a weird order. So he, he says, you know the commandments, but he doesn't mention all of them. He mentions only the fifth through the tenth. And that's kind of weird. I mean, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He, he should have known, you know, the Ten Commandments, all of them, their, you know, their content and their order, and also in the original language, right? But uh, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus skips even the first commandment, which is, you shall no, have no other gods before me, which is the foundation for all the rest. Why does Jesus skip that? Why does Jesus share them in that way to the man, uh, with the man? Well, Jesus is clearly onto something here. And he doesn't go ahead and just tell the man what this thing is. Instead, Jesus wants the, the man to see this for himself. And so... He gives him a hard choice. Hard choice. Verse 21, Jesus says, uh, it says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor. 
and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. If you've been uh, with us uh, for most of this sermon series, you may have noticed that uh, this is not what Jesus usually does when someone comes and says that they want to follow him. So whenever someone expressed that willingness to follow Jesus, Jesus would say, no, just, just go home, basically. Jesus would forgive, forgive them, he would heal them, but he would basically then send them home. But with this man, Jesus does something different. He calls the man to follow him. But before he follows him, Jesus says, one thing you lack you need to sell everything you have and give it away to, all, to those in need. Verse 22 says, Disheartened by the saying, the man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, as honest as this man's question was, his heart was divided. And I don't mean here heart in a, in a medical or anatomical sense, but in a, in a spiritual sense, right? His heart is what he really cares about, what he really loves, what he really worships. You see, the man was under the illusion that he had kept the, the law, the Ten Commandments, throughout his life. And Jesus' challenge to him to, to sell all his stuff and give it all away just simply exposed the reality in his heart that he did not keep the first commandment or any of the commandments that he did not love God with all his heart and all his and all his being Jesus it's interesting what what it says to it says that Jesus looking at him looking at the man he loved him so Jesus knew what was in this man's heart he knew that probably that he was going to go away. He was going to turn away. And yeah, Jesus didn't say, ha, gotcha. You know, your heart is divided. You, you don't really mean that. No, he loved him. And in, in kindness and love, he, he led the man to recognize what was really going on in his heart. So friends, uh, I'm not God. You, you knew that already. Uh, and I'm not Jesus. Uh, and I don't know what's in your heart or your bank account. Um, but I know my heart to some extent. Um, and I hear these words of Jesus as a, as a challenge. And uh, not because I'm, you know, I'm rolling in the dough and therefore I, I, I feel like Jesus is kind of like directly talking to me as a, as a rich man. Um, but... It's because even the modest wealth I have, I tend to love too much. And it's not only that, it's that I trust my wealth to provide me with security, peace, and happiness. And I'm pretty sure you can relate too. But just because we can all relate, let's not miss... Uh, the, the power of these words, the, the power of this challenge, especially to those who have great wealth and great possessions. That is, the rich. Okay? Okay, and I, I know, 
it's kind of hard to talk about the rich uh, because you know wealth is relative and you have to consider average you know household incomes and you know a lot of other factors and da 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 da, da. okay but folks we live in one of the richest counties in this country and in one of the probably the richest country in the history of the world so far and it's more than likely that some of us here actually fit the bill of, what, of who is Jesus addressing directly. Now, I just want to say a clarification. I'm, I'm not suggesting, and I want, don't want to suggest that wealth is bad. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say anything like that. I, I, I believe that as long as it's ethically earned and used, wealth is a very good thing. Whether it's gained through work or passed down through, uh, through generations or given as a gift, wealth is a blessing. Wealth is a blessing that can create more blessing. I mean, just, just look at us. We can exist here as a church and we can pay for this room. We can pay for those donuts because we are all contributing of our wealth to, you know, to, to meet here. And my salary comes from the contributions that you guys provide. So wealth is a good thing, right? Should be happy about it. The thing is that wealth is a blessing, but wealth is a double-edged blessing, right? It can cause us to uh, find, um, find security and peace and happiness in it rather than in God, right? It can make us haughty and entitled. And it may just be the thing that prevents someone from entering the kingdom of God. So friend, if, uh, what if Jesus asked you not to give everything away, but just half of what you own away? How would that sit with you? Is your wealth off limits for God? Good questions to think about. Think about those. Um, if the thing is this, is, this is the point that if we really want to follow Jesus, it may cost us more than we want to, that we want to give away. Sometimes following Jesus means forsaking, renouncing to things that we really love and care about dearly. It may be our reliance on wealth or possessions. It may be other things that we look for, security, peace, and happiness. You name it. This man, when he was presented with the choice of following Jesus on one hand and his possessions, his great possessions on the other, he chose, he clung to his possessions. And so the question for us is, what will be our choice? What will be your choice? So the rich man leaves, and Jesus uses this opportunity to teach his disciples. He teaches them about an impossible task. This is our third point, an impossible task. He turns around and says to them, 
uh, to his disciples in verse 23, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. So Jesus is now challenging uh, the disciples' assumptions about wealth and morality. See, uh, at the time, wealth was seen as a sign of, of God's blessing. And the rich man, as, at the very least, had tried to keep God's commandments. Um, so this was a very moral man, right? This was kind of like, if, if there's someone who's going to enter heaven, it has to be the blessed guy who, you know, is trying to keep the, uh, the law of God. But Jesus says that even for those people, it would be very difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then, actually, he says, it's not just difficult, it's impossible. Right? It's like trying to fit a huge animal through an almost microscopic opening. Okay, so there's this discussions about what the, the eye of, and, and the needle mean and the camel and all that. But basically, Jesus is using hyperbole, you know, an exaggeration or even humor to say it's, it's, it's ridiculous. You can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. You can't fit a huge thing through this microscopic opening. And so the disciples are shocked and they ask, Jesus, so that who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And here is, in the midst of, of impossibility, in the midst of what seems to be uh, hope, hope, a hopeless situation, this is where the good news comes in. Because what Jesus wants the disciples to understand is that no one can enter the kingdom of God by their own means. Because the only way to do that is what he told the, the man, right? You have to keep the commandments perfectly and holy. The problem is no one can do that because even the most morally upright person has broken God's commandments. Which also means it's not only the rich, but it's also the poor and everyone in between. Everyone has broken God's commandments. We're all on the same ground. Everyone is a lawbreaker before God. And the best thing, the law of God, or trying to keep the commandments, the, the best thing that that can do for us is simply to expose our idolatry, our, our failure to love God above all things. You know, I, I, I was doing the dishes uh, the other day, because uh, I do that often. Uh, and, um, but because I'm clumsy, I hit um, a tall uh, glass and I broke it. And it shattered. It was a mess. Um, the dirty dishes, the kids' stuff, and then glass on top of it. It was it was terrible. I, f I felt great. I, I, I just, it, was, it was terrible. Um, 
And I thought about this because I could have... I could have tried to put the glass back together, right? And try to drink from it. But that would have been stupid and, and would have been unsafe. Um, unsafe to drink from, right? But that's, that's kind of like a picture of what we try to do when we try to keep God's commandments. We, we, we take our blow, a broken glass and we try to kind of like patch it and put it together. But it's, we're still broken. Before God, We've, we can't help but being broken. And so the best thing that law can do is to show us that we are broken. You know, I, um, I skipped over the part where the rich man tells Jesus or calls Jesus good teacher. Did you see that? Did you see that when, when he first comes, he asks the question, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, Jesus is saying to the guy, do you really understand the implications of calling me good? Because what the rich man did not understand is that the only one who was good was standing right in front of him, right there, right then. You see, the message of the Bible is that out of his amazing kindness, out of the overflow of, of his love in, in his heart, God sent his son into the world. God sent Jesus, fully man, fully God, uh, to the world. Who, uh, he walked on this earth. He lived a sinful, uh, a sinful life. No, a sinless life. That's the point. He li- lived a sinless life. And he kept all of the commandments of God perfectly and holy. And yet... He died on a cross. And what the Bible tells us is what, at the, what happened at the cross was an exchange. Jesus' perfect goodness was given to us. And our law-breaking was given to him. Jesus, who was the heir of the universe, he was the true rich man, he became poor for people like us so that we would become rich. Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again. And so now, because Jesus died for our sins and because Jesus rose again, when Jesus looks at, when when God looks at us, he doesn't see, he doesn't see us broken. He sees us whole. He is pleased with us. That is the good news of the gospel. The good news of Christianity. That God approves of you because of Jesus. That is what eternal life is. To know that God approves of you on account of Jesus. So we don't do anything to inherit the kingdom of God because we can't. Rather, we receive the kingdom of God. We receive eternal life by trusting in what Jesus has done for us. Jesus says it himself, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So this is what we believe and celebrate as Christians, the grace of God. 
the free gift and the freedom that we have in Christ. And you know what? The good news doesn't end there because the last thing is that Jesus gives his disciples an extravagant promise. Last point, an extravagant promise. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. That's in verse 28. Isn't this funny that Peter just, he just heard about the power of God, about the impossibility of entering the kingdom of God by your own means. And he says, instead of saying, hallelujah, amen, praise God. He says, let the record show that we did all that you asked Jesus. <laughs> Somehow his takeaway is that he did it all. Right? And that he was, he was trying to build his case upon his merit on what uh, he was seemingly willing to, uh, to lose or sacrifice. So, <laughs> Peter, you left everything? Seriously? Um, so Peter is just as delusional as the rich man, right? Peter didn't leave everything uh, for, uh, to follow Jesus. And also, it's like, Peter, if I, um, if I just told you that in a, in a few days, you are going to turn your back on Jesus because of what a little servant girl says, you, you would be more careful with your words, right? But then, that's, that's not Jesus doesn't respond the way that, that I've responded, that maybe you have responded to, to Peter saying. Uh, look at what Jesus says in verses 29 and 31. He says, in effect, let the record show that anyone who sacrificed in this life, um, who, who sacrificed for the gospel and for the kingdom of God, will receive more in this life and in the one to come. You will receive houses, Brothers, sisters, mothers. What is Jesus talking about? I think he's talking about his people, uh, the church. And now I'm, I'm well aware that not everyone has uh, had a, a, a good experience in the church. And certainly my experience has not been perfect. Uh, but overall... Um, and especially as I moved from my hometown uh, as when I was going to college um, and as my family spread across multiple continents and as, as I myself uh, moved to, to a different continent and to a, a new country, um, I've experienced God's blessing uh, through the church. The Lord has blessed me with houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. Folks who are not my blood, who don't look like me, who don't smell like me, who don't vote like me, and yet who have welcomed me, laughed with me, cried with me, even provided for me at times and really treated me like one of their own. And they've done that because they love Jesus and they love his people. They've done that because they've recognized that those who are in Christ 
those who believe in him belong together in a way that transcends biology, nationality, and personal preferences. So church, we are God's family. This is God's uh, this is Jesus' extravagant promise for us. He gives us eternal life and he makes us part of his eternal family. And this is not just a pie-in-the-sky promise. It's something that we can experience right now. And I know that we are a young church. We've only been together here in Reston for four months. But this promise is for us too. And uh, this morning we don't have time to explore all what that means. But I invite you to ponder upon that reality and um, think about practical ways to, to live that out. The whole point of this is that following Jesus may cost us more than we want, but what we give up does not compare with what we get in return. And all that's because Jesus is disproportionately generous. And we love him for that. So let's pray. Lord, your word challenges it exposes what's in our hearts. We pray that you would grant us repentance where needed. But your word also comforts us. And we rejoice in the fact that eternal life is a gift. That when we receive uh, and when we believe in Jesus, we receive much more than we could ever ask or imagine. So we praise you for the riches of your grace. And we pray that you would help us live in light of them. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.